brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 135. All writing is a discipline, but screenwriting is a drill sergeant. Anonymous. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. And today's show is also sponsored by the Heart Chart Screenwriting Masterclass taught by legendary screenwriter James V. Hart, the writer of Bram Stoker's Dracula, Hook, and Contact, to name a few. His unique story mapping system will teach you how to get your script ready for production and the marketplace. To gain instant access, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash heart chart. That's H-A-R-T chart. Now guys, today on the show, we have Catherine Ann Jones, the writer of The Way of Story, The Craft and Soul of Writing. Now Catherine's been in the business for decades and has written movies for Dolly Parton, has written multiple award-winning plays, multiple books, and much, much more. I wanted to have her on the show to discuss her way of writing and her approach to breaking stories and how you should hopefully connect with that intuition, with that muse that's inside of you to be conscious while you are writing and, and how you can tap into that magic. And that's what her whole book is about, is tapping into that magic, that inner source, whatever that might be. And I've talked to many Oscar-winning and award-winning screenwriters who 
don't they I asked them the question that I don't know where it is, but I just know that I am a vehicle for this to come through. And hopefully this conversation will help you tap into that for yourselves. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Catherine Ann Jones. I'd like to welcome the show, Catherine Ann Jones. How are you doing, Catherine? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. Um, I wanted to have you on because you've written many books, but in this conversation, we're going to talk about the way of story. And uh, I wanted to hear your perspective on on storytelling, especially from your um, vast knowledge and experience. Uh, But before we get started, how did you get uh, started in the business? Uh, the business of writing books or the business no, of the fi- like, like acting show business show bi- sh- the okay. business show got business. it got it <laughs> well like a cat I le- I've led many lives um <laughs> well like many of us in show business I started as an actor in New York mm-hmm. I acted in 55 plays Broadway off Broadway regional theater did some daytime television for a year and a half and a couple of films. Um, And then I just didn't like the new plays, the way women were written. So I decided to write my own plays. And I've had 11 plays produce a lot. Many have won awards. And that led me to um, Hollywood. One of the plays was optioned uh, by MGM, and so I came out for that. And and at the same time, I won an award, Beverly Hills Theater Guild Award. So they flew me to Hollywood to accept the award and everything. And But you wanted to talk first, not about my film work, but the way of story book, right? Well, yeah, we just wanted to get the background on you first. Okay, so I'll do way of story then. Um, Well, I taught uh, eight years at the New School University, taught writing in New York. And then uh, as soon as I came out here, the dean at USC in L.A. asked if I would teach screenwriting. And uh, my first film had come out and got four nominations, best picture, best writing. And I told her I've only written one screenplay. She knew my place from New York. This is a very fortuitous thing. Mm -hmm. And the dean said, I want someone teaching graduate screenwriting with a background in playwriting. Now, go figure. Mm, Of course. (laughs) No one in Hollywood cares about what you did before you wrote movies, usually. So for five years, I taught screenwriting there. And actually, I mentioned the teaching years because for all these years, I taught the craft of writing, just craft, which is essential, of course. But I began to sense that something was missing. It's not just about the left brain, Mm -hmm. if you're really writing something good. And so I stopped teaching. I moved out of L.A. to Ojai. And I I was invited to Esalen Institute, Big Sur. In fact, I'm going there Monday. It'll be my 16th time to teach there. It's a great place. And they welcome people who develop new ideas. And that was perfect for me because I wanted to find another approach to writing any narrative form, not only film, but, you know, books, plays, memoir, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I tried, I developed a workshop called The Way of Story, The Craft and Soul of Writing. So the idea is to bring your whole self to the writing table, not just the left brain. But you write from your senses, your gut, and certainly your heart. And um, and that started. And after teaching that for a couple of years, I wrote the book uh, that was published. And, um, and um, schools are using it now in their writing mm-hmm. programs like New York University and so on. Very cool. Now, you, I mean, you being an actress, starting off as an actress, has that does that make you a better writer when you write for actors? 
totally. There's <laughs> well, Shakespeare and Moliere were actors first. Mm-hmm. I just want to remind you guys <laughs> of that. And um, there's no better background for dramatic writing than being an actor first. I write very good parts for actors. And I think that helped me get stars to be in my movies and television. So it's a wonderful background. You know, what's always fascinated me is how, if we follow our intuition, or as my old friend Joe Campbell said, follow your bliss, mm-hmm. um, you you make these sudden turns in life. And, and they don't make sense outwardly. I had just done... Um, starred in a television play uh, that was aired all over America, got good reviews, and that's when I stopped acting. I didn't know why, but something told me this is over. And so for three months, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next, and then I wrote my first play. But when I look back, It's almost as if there was some plan there that I didn't know about. Act for so many years and then write plays Mm -hmm. and then Hollywood invites you and you write films and television. You know, it wasn't a conscious plan, Uh, but I'm always amazed. And it doesn't just apply to creatives. Sometimes people will make changes in their lives and they're not sure why, but they know it's right. Mm-hmm. And then you look back and it all fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. It's pretty it's pretty insane how that is with life because, you know, you, you make a crazy move, which at the, at the moment looks insane. And you're like, people are looking at you like, why would you invest in a company called Apple? Uh, in, yep. in 1992. Uh, <laughs> um, why would you exactly. do that? That seems insane. But then down the right. line, you did okay. <laughs> I know. Somehow it, that's why um, my second book, Heal Yourself with Writing, is about following that and listening to that intuitive voice. Because I really write intuitively, but when I was asked to teach in New York and later Los Angeles, I had to analyze what my processes were because I just kind of got into a zone and things happened. And um, so teaching was another element that made me rethink and and that helped my writing as well as teaching. So one thing uh, a lot of a lot of writers, young writers start off in is they 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 say that they want to write from complete instinct, from complete, you know, from inside and and let it flow. But without craft, exactly, it doesn't work. So can you explain the importance That's of... That's why I say my subtitle is The Craft and Soul of Writing. Both are very important. And so the book and the workshop is about integrating the two seamlessly. When you bring those two together, it's powerful. I mean, today we have films, you know, and... They sit around in development at the studios. Hey, and then this happens, and then this, and then a car chase and such. And you're you're just blitzed out when you watch the movie I Am, and you feel nothing other than exhausted, you know, or something. Um, Whereas I've seen a, a film at a film festival, Bernice Bob's Her Hair, based on a Fitzgerald story. Mm-hmm. And it's about a girl in the 30s who gets her hair cut off. That's the action. (laughs) Yeah, I was crying. I was just crying at the end of it. So, you know, it's about physical action often interrupts the dramatic action. And to what interests me um, is what happens between people. Mm -hmm. You know, how we do wonderful and terrible things to each other. What makes us do these things? And I guess that's why I don't write action movies. <laughs> right, right. Uh, like Shrek says, you know, people are like onions and they have layers and layers and layers. <laughs> and you get to, un- you know, take them off, you know. Exactly. Now, yeah. um, one thing a lot of screenwriters do is when they're choosing the stories to tell, uh, the stories that they're going to write, what advice do you have about what, how a, a screenwriter should choose their story because so many go after they chase the market 
And if they're chasing the market, they've already lost that battle because the market's already around the it's corner. Somewhere else. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's a good question. Often people will tell writers write about what you know. I'm sure we've all heard that. Mm -hmm. I don't entirely agree with that. I mean, it's helpful, of course. But, you know, I taught in um, the Lucas building at um, USC. George mm -hmm. Lucas gave the money for it. To my knowledge, George Lucas never traveled in outer space. <laughs> Not once. And yet he wrote this thing called Star Wars. It did pretty well. It's okay. It did okay. So what I tell my students and clients, consultant clients, write about what you feel a passion for. It can be a, a negative feeling, like everything David Mamet has written is about corruption of one form or another. Glenn Garrick and Ross, the verdict, everything he writes is about that's that's what gets his juices going. So find what you care about because writing's a relationship. And if you're going to move in with a story for, say, six months to a year or more, you want to keep the juices going. So you have to care about the theme or the character or the plot. So I'd say write about what you feel passionate about. And don't chase the, and just don't chase the market. Totally not, because as you said, it changes. You know, and with my USC grad students, they were always sort of writing derivative thrillers or something. Right. And it just changes, you know, so fast. But if you write about something, I wrote about something I cared about. My first movie was called The Christmas Wife. Well-meaning friends and associate said, you'll never get this produced. There's no sex, there's no violence. <laughs> Can you imagine being naive enough to pitch a story with no sex and no violence in mm -hmm. Hollywood? Mm -hmm. Hello. Mm -hmm. It not only got made, I got two top stars, Jason Robards, Julie Harris, top director, David Jones, no, no relation, and it won four nominations because I I really hope that people, oh, HBO produced it. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that there were audiences that wanting something, wanted something different, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because if you look at success stories throughout Hollywood history, it rarely is the movie that's successful, if it ever is, that is chasing the market. It's generally something that they've been very passionate about, or I look like a movie exactly. like, like Shawshank Redemption, which was wonderful film, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And, and Frank Darabont was just passionate about this little short story that Stephen King wrote. And Hey, let's, let's make this into a movie. There's, there was nothing. And by the way, it wasn't a huge hit, but has aged extremely oh, well. Wonderful, wonderful film. Also Sixth Sense, which was the correct. writer director's first, it's still his best movie. He's yeah. tried to chase his own success with his the movies that came after. I think his best film is Sixth Sense because he just wrote what he wanted to write. And it wasn't even popular then. Since then, people have tried to write you know, derivative movies, including himself. <laughs> he's been chasing his, his own dragon for a while. Uh, yeah. He's always been chasing that, uh, that success. But it's hard. Like if, if your first film is The Sixth Sense, how do you, it's kind of hard to follow that up. Well, maybe, but yeah. it, it, you know, the, our motives for writing count. Mm. And if you just write a story, I always know that I may have, five, ten ideas for stories. There's always one story that's like a puppy dog yapping at your heels that will not let you go. That's the one you have to write, you know. Yeah, exactly. You can write the others later, but something will tell you what to write next. If yeah, I was, I, was, I was listening, I was watching a documentary uh, the other day, and it was Michael, it was, they were talking about Michael Crichton, who um, had this idea about dinosaurs on an island. 
And yeah. he's like, ah, and he put it away, but it just kept hounding him. Exactly. And look what, exactly. I mean, Jurassic Park changed movie history after after that came out. But And the first and the original film is quite good. Oh, my God. Yeah. The first one's fin- it's, sequel, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. The sequels, maybe not, but that first one is. It was, yeah, it, it's a classic Spielberg. Uh, now, my second film I had produced came to me in a dream. Sometimes my ideas come at night when I sleep. Sure. And this is not also just with me. I'm sure other creatives. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure Van Gogh saw Starry oh, Sky. James, James Cameron got Terminator was in a, in a fever-induced dream that he had about this, this metal skeleton. Right. Yeah, so I know it's nothing new. But I dreamt one night about an angel, uh, a male angel, actually, who... Um, went to heaven and um, couldn't earn his wings. And they sent him to earth on a mission. And if he succeeded, he would earn his wings. Ten days, and I wrote the dream down. I always keep a journal next to my bed. And (laughs) ten days later, um, Dolly Parton's people had called my agent. And they, uh, she had loved The Christmas Wife, the movie. I wrote... And she she had been looking for a project for two years and couldn't find one. And she wondered if I had anything for her. So my agent called, wanted me to come to L.A. and pitch to her people. And I remembered the dream. Now, the dream was about a male angel. So driving to L.A., I transposed the gender and I pitched about a female angel who happened to be a country western singer. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Talk about custom made. <laughs> and I pitched it to her people. They said, Dolly must hear that she was in Hollywood. She has a house there. So they took me right over to her house. Now, I don't read about Star's life. I don't read showbiz magazine. So I don't really know what they like or not. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. And now, back to the show. We walked into the garden. There were angel fountains <laughs> and statues. <laughs> We walked into her living room, a tapestry of angels. There were angels all over the place, and I thought we're home free. Yeah. (laughs) And she loved the story, and um, we made it, and we got the highest ratings except for the football game. You can never beat football. (laughs) It's tough to beat the football game, especially and I tell you, she is one smart woman, Dolly. Mm-hmm. She is not a dumb blonde. You know, she really is a shrewd businesswoman. She's been a megastar for like 50 years. Six, six, almost 60 years. Oh, 60, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, not women, not many women actors pull that off. So, Well, I think the biggest, I think the biggest, uh, 
business, the shrew business thing that she did was she kept the publishing rights to I Will Always Love You. Uh, and that alone, I think, built yeah. Dollywood. It's a great song. Yeah, yeah good. You know, she good did very well. Say I. Yes. Now, yeah. when you write, do you start with character or plot? It varies. Um, I guess as a playwright, I do write um, character-driven stories. To me, plot is what a character does. It's not separate from the character. Um, so, um, but sometimes I'll have a theme, like with Christmas Wife, I've always been fascinated how like on a plane or traveling, you'll meet a stranger and spend just a short time with the stranger, but there'll be this powerful connection. That led me to want to write about that in The Christmas Wife. By the way, it's not a sentimental Christmas movie. Um, we got over 300 rave reviews, and they always made that point that it was refreshing. And it's not a down movie either, but it's not a typical sentimental ending. And But this thing of we've all experienced it where you meet someone Mm-hmm. And you know them, it could be an hour or two hours, and yet something has happened between you that changes you. Yeah. And that, well, it's brief encounters in a way. It's mm-hmm. the old English film, Leslie Howe. Now, do you outline, and if you do, how do you do it? Well, in The Way of Story, um, which is a book on how to write, I have a whole chapter on outlines. And um, and then, you know, the different as character development, dialogue and so on. Um, I find I have different processes with different projects, so I don't have one kind of platform I use. But I do. Um, if I start with character, I'll get to know backstory first. I learned that in acting because, you know, you have page one of the play you're performing and uh, I, I learned that my research was to build a backstory for that character. Like uh, years ago, I played Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. And I, even though she's only 14, I tried to find out who she was before Act One, Page One. And that's very helpful. So your characters appeal appear on stage or on screen, and they've already been living their life. It's not out of nowhere. I don't know if that's clear. That, but, that, yeah. ma- that makes yeah, and especially when you're dealing with character. Uh, you know, I've heard stories of you know directors and writer directors who write you know books almost on their character's yeah. backstory that will never see the light of day, um, but yet um, it gives so much depth uh, exactly. into the yeah. character. I, and it's I, wonderful for the actor because then. On their first day of shooting, they know who they are. They don't right. have to kind of futz around and, you know, you know, I, I you know for, if it's not in the script, they have to bring it to him. I forgot who it was. It was a, one of these famous movie star uh, actors who, who's a fantastic actor who would like, the, I think it was the writer who was telling me this, that they had, they requested like an item to put in like, you know, a, a box of Tic Tacs or, you know, whatever in his pocket for the entire shoot that no one would ever see, but it's just something his character would carry. Something simple like that adds so much depth. Well, especially if it's something that meant something to the actor or would to the character. Right. Even if it's not talked about. That's right. The, I studied acting. This dates me, but my first teacher in New York was Lee Strasberg at the no. actor's studio. Not a, not a bad, not a bad teacher. <laughs> so I've used some of the exercises I learned from him for my writing workshops when I teach, like emotional memory, things like sensory recall. And it's very um, useful because many actors, even who have been writing for years, they don't write, um, you know, th- they just follow the exercises. They're all 10 minutes, five minute exercises. And what comes out is not, they tell me, it's not something that would come out when they're facing a blank page. 
So they write from other parts of themselves. And it's uh and they think, where did this come from? Wow. <laughs> I couldn't have written, you know. And it's very exciting as a teacher, and that's why I'm never bored, because every everyone has at least one story to tell. And I just love those aha moments when I do. I use visualizations, too, and things like that, and where something comes through you. Um, sometimes when you're in the zone, you channel things. I've had that. I wish I could say it happens every time. It doesn't. I've had that happen a few times, and it is so exciting. Shall I give you one example? Please, please. Right. My first play was about the final years of Virginia Woolf, the British novelist. And at the time I wrote the play, I had just played her as a character in a play in New York. And I did a lot of research while I was performing her. And then I couldn't let her go after the play closed uh, three months later. So I kept reading. I finally sat down and wrote my first long play. And at the time, her novels were out there, but her letters and her journals were not published. So I had no access. So I had to make up a lot of stuff. You know, what she said, the way she talked. Mm -hmm. About a year after the play came out, mm -hmm. several of the things I thought I made up, she actually said. <laughs> really? That, yes. I know woo-woo, right? <laughs> yeah, so you were channeling her. You were channeling her. And that, that happens. It happened to me this year with the book of short stories I'm writing set in India. I wrote one called Murder in Assam. And I've never been to Assam. I've spent years in India, but not Assam. And I made up this fictional short story. An Indian friend of mine uh, sent the story to a friend of his in Bangalore, who is head of a Silicon Valley kind of thing. And she read it and she wrote to him and he sent it to me that what I wrote actually happened. Wow. It's about the young women who pick tea in the tea plantations. And it's about rape and murder and so on. I had no idea. But this has happened a few times to me because you really, I find for myself, my best writing is when I disappear and just something comes through. And yeah, I've, I've, spoken, I've spoken to a lot of creative people about that. Like, where does it come from? And yeah. most of, I'm going to say everybody I've ever asked that question to, they always respect that there's like, I don't know what it is. I know I didn't create it personally. I know I was just a exactly. vessel that it kind of came through. And when you're writing sometimes, uh, specifically when you're writing, it just flows. And when you're writing in the flow, you're just like, I don't know. Like sometimes I'll write something and I'll read it. And I'm like, did I? Who wrote that? Yeah. I've written a few, I've written a couple books and I've written and I go back and I'll start reading just out of the, oh yeah, I'll just open up a book that I've wrote and I'll just grab a chapter. I'll just start reading it for fun. I'm like, who the hell wrote this? This is fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's in the zone. I can't tell you how many times I've heard my students in my classes say that and I just love it. So it's that's what I try and you know, trick them into going in the zone through these little exercises. They're in the book and in the classes, but no, I, have... I love teaching. I guess my passions are writing and teaching, but mm -hmm. I love both. I, I And that those are two yeah. of my passions as well. Uh, oh. Yeah, I mean, I, what I do here is teaching. I teach uh, throughout, you know, I'm, I'm, I've become an educator, I've become a teacher, as well as an artist, as well as a writer and a, a thousand other hyphenates that I have. Um, but I found such a passion about giving back to people and exactly. sharing people and sharing with people. And that's why I love having conversations with, with guests like yourself that I can delve into different aspects. And, you know, I'll ask questions that I just want to listen to, but then it gets listened to by thousands and thousands of people around the world. And it's great. And it, it really, you know, when you hear some of the work that you've done has affected someone else's life in a positive way, it's, it's, a, I keep saying to people, it's addictive. When you start giving back, 
that that becomes an addiction of wanting to help and help. In my generation, we called it making a difference. <laughs> yes, and we're paying it now. It's paying it forward, or something. It's a good title for a movie. It, it, there is a movie called Paying It For. <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, now, you did mention something earlier, and I have to ask because I, I need to know. You said that you were friends with Mr. Joseph Campbell, who is yes. a, a legend. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, oh, everybody sure. everybody listening to this knows the hero's journey because of, of jo- Joseph's work. Can you talk a little bit about how you met and how that, that relationship yeah. was and no, what no, it was like? It, well, to me, life is story. So mm-hmm. everything's a story. Sure. I went at that time, I would go to India as my spiritual home. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time there. I had just come back from India the night before, and I was invited to Gerald Sykes and Buffy Johnson, husband and wife. He's a writer. Buffy's a great painter. Her work's in the Met Metropolitan Art Museum. So I went to the party, and when I walked in, Gerald said, there's someone you must meet. He also loves India. So they introduced me to Joseph Campbell. I knew nothing about him. I hadn't read any of his books. And we talked, and while we were talking, he said, "Um, you know, India changed my life. I met a great sage in South India and um, attended his talks, and he changed my life. And I said, who was he? And he said, oh, you wouldn't know him because um, he's not a public figure. He's the real thing, but not, you know. And I said, well, I'd be interested to know its name. So he told me the name, and I got very quiet, and I said, I have just come from his son. His son, his, his son was yes. teaching. His son was also a spiritual teacher. Well, because the father had died in 1959. Mm-hmm. So, and this was in the 70s or something. Wow. And, uh, and no, neither one of us spoke for a while. The whole atmosphere changed. And <laughs> Joe took me by the hand and took me to a corner and we sat for an hour talking And that's when our friendship started. And I got to know his wife, who's also a remarkable choreographer, dancer. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, you know what Joe Campbell had? I've only seen it twice. Um, And I wish I had it. But I just, I'm in awe when I see it. What Joseph Campbell had is a, a boyish enthusiasm and passion from mythology that he had when he was 12 and through his whole life, it never lessened. Mm -hmm. You can tell if you watch the Bill Moyers. um, Yeah, of course. Power of myth. He's so excited by Mm -hmm. what he talks about. And that's genuine. We used to go to plays together and we saw a rather poor play off Broadway. And I think it was about Vietnam or something. Anyway, we went out afterwards to have a bite, and Joe just started talking like he does, and I'm sure that's how he was when he did classes, and he was comparing the play with Vietnam and 5th century Greece, and (laughs) and I turned to him and I said, Joe, this conversation's 10 times more interesting than that play. (laughs) Exactly. But that was that was who he was and he was it's totally genuine. The only other time I saw that, um Harold Clerman, the theater director, directed my first long play, the one about Virginia Woolf on mm-hmm. the edge. And um he had that quality. And this was at the end of his life. I think he died a year later. He was in his seventies, eighties or something. But he had that, he made you think that your play was the most important thing in the world. And this yes. was, he had that passion. And, and that's contagious, you know, when you're around it. And did you, did you meet Joe before um, Star Wars or after Star Wars? Before. Before. And so you were there when Star Wars hit and then everybody, because I mean, when Star Wars hit, I mean, it brought yeah, a tremendous. was very influenced by 
Well, we yeah. all, yeah, heavily, but I think that brought a lot of attention to, jo- to Joseph Campbell's yeah. work and everything. Well, he taught for years at Sarah Lawrence right. College in New York, but he never got that big attention really until Star Wars. Yeah, and then it just, Thanks. and now to and, this day. And Power of Myth was made a short time before he passed away. Yeah. So it's wonderful they got that on tape. You know? Oh, yeah, on on, uh, on Skywalker wonderful Ranch. series, on yeah. Sky, At Skywalker Ranch, they shot that. Um, Actually, I write about Joe Campbell in a book I that was just published this year, my memoir. I finally, thanks to the pandemic, <laughs> oddly enough, I couldn't travel all over the world and teach like I usually do. So I sat here in Ojai and I've written three books. Two of them are memoirs, and in the Buddha and the Dancing Girl, a creative life, I write about Joseph Campbell. That's awesome. He's yeah. I mean, I've seen all of Mythos and all of the amazing uh, programs and stuff that he put out. But I just had to ask you because I've never met anyone who actually knew Joe. So it was uh, it was no. He was an original, no question. No question about it. It all started when he was taken when he was 12 to the Museum of Natural History in New York. And he got uh, interested in the Native American mythology. So it started young. Sometimes when one's very young, you you see the direction you're going. You got to find and and you got to find what you're here to do. And he definitely found his bliss. As or it says. found him. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it hits you right in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, no, no, I... now, one of the um, diseases that uh, writers uh, have is writing stereotypes uh, into characters. Uh, and it's just something that needs to stop, uh, like cliche and stereotypes. Um, what what advice do you have for well, writers to avoid is, it? Well, why does Hollywood keep producing those kinds? But that's another story. If, I guess if it keeps making money, they'll they'll keep yeah, doing something until it go. stops making money. There you go. There you go. I'm sorry. What was your question? So how do you avoid writing stereotypes or cliched ac- uh, characters? Well, I use prototypes myself, like um, a play of mine that won the most awards um, is um, the inevitable dysfunctional family play. I always ask, tell my students, if you want to be good writers and you don't come from a dysfunctional background, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> it's very true. There is no greater father <laughs> or any artist. Um, but anyway, I was invited to Yado. It's an art colony in Upper State, New York, mm-hmm. uh, to write. And I had been thinking about this play for a year, bits of dialogue. You said, what do I start with? This play started with, I would get these full sentences, lines of dialogue. I'd write them on little scraps of paper, and I would just put them in a a bag in my um, closet on the floor. And after a year, I had all this dialogue, and it... um, it was based on my family. My prototypes are my mother, her two sisters, my grandmother, myself as when I was young. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. And a black maid who had been with the family for 40 years. And um, it's an all-female play, by the way. As an actor, when you audition for a play, there's usually one or two women's roles and 10 male Mm -hmm. roles. So Mm -hmm. this was my giving it back, you know. So um, it was hard to write. I'd end up sobbing. I'd get out, ride a bicycle for an hour, come back. But, it, it, you know, it started with real prototypes, and then I fictionalized it. I pushed it over the edge, so to speak. And I was convinced that no one would want to produce this play because it was it was so me. It was so growing up in Texas, where you are now. Yeah. And that, uh, but I knew I had to write it. It was like an exorcism. I had to get mm-hmm. it out of my system. And then I figured I'd put it in a drawer and then I'd be free to go write something else. I couldn't have been more surprised. That play won more awards than all the other 11 plays. People would come up to me after a production and say, that's my mother. How could you know? I live in <laughs> Nebraska. I've never been to Nebraska. That's my sister. You, you got her down to a T. How could you do that? And I learned a very important lesson as a writer. In the specific lies the universal, not the other way around. No one knew this better than Anton Chekhov, the Russian playwright. He wrote about people he knew. He started with characters he actually knew. And they're as universal today as when he wrote them. Yeah. So that's a good lesson That's why I encourage um, those I'm teaching or consulting with, uh, dare to be personal. Dare to be personal. It doesn't mean you have to literally write everything that actually happened, but it's what I call be emotionally autobiographical. There's a DNA... there's a DNA when you're when you're writing, if you're writing based on a real person, even if there's a starting point or a basis in it, there's a DNA there that's authentic, regardless if, you know, you threw you threw that, uh, you know, your dad into Indiana Jones. Your dad wasn't an archaeologist, but maybe his failings, maybe his fear of snakes, maybe all these other things kind of got tossed in there. There's there's that that's that's very powerful. That's a very powerful tool. Well, what I learned writing in Hollywood, um, the script has to reach the audience and reader emotionally. And so you can't create the emotions in a reader or an audience unless you feel it first. That's why I use prompt, some of which Lee Strasberg gave me or, or other places, to get people to actually feel what they're writing. Um, I'll give you one quick example. Um, A woman in my class had written, I think it was a character monologue, an emotional monologue, what I call it. And it wasn't very good. It was kind of dry. So I I asked her to get up. I choose someone else from the class. And I do an exercise where they just push their hands as hard as they can and try and throw each other off balance. And then I say, just start improvising the lines, not necessarily what you wrote, but just think of what you want to say to your husband or mother, whatever the character is. And the class is amazed and they applaud because when she was feeling her adrenaline was going from the pushing, you understand, mm-hmm. and she would start yelling and that and crying. 
And it was 10 times better than what she had written. Because <laughs> her whole body and feeling right. and memories came up, you see. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so that's we, what... now we touched something, we touched a, a few times in, in this conversation about the inner voice, the the zone, the finding the muse, all of these kind of things. Do you have any advice or tips on how to tap into that? Because that's that's the gold. That's the I always tell people that's your secret sauce that that nobody Absolutely. else has. It's that's the point. Nobody else has it. It's unique to you, and right. that's what you need to go from. <clears throat> well, even people. Um, I don't know. I I don't want to sound like um, it, this is the only way. But I hear from a lot of people that have read Way of Story or Heal Yourself with Writing. They both have all these prompts, these short five, ten minute exercises. And that can throw you there. I also have six online courses that if they go to wayofstory.com, mm, they can zone in. Daily Ohm is who produces them. And uh, they take those. So I get feedback from that. But otherwise, there's so many ways. It's all about being totally authentic. If you're really in the zone with your intuitive self, you have to be real. You can't try and be, you know, Hollywood's a place where a lot of people are trying to be something they're not. You know, they think that's the way they'll succeed. And then, but who succeeds? A sissy space act from Texas comes around, who's this ex-cheerleader, Texas girl, didn't even bother to lose her Texas accent. Mm -hmm. And she's wonderful. She is. You know, when you see her, uh, her performances. So I'm, I, um, I think authenticity is really the way to succeed. And even if you don't succeed in the world, you've succeeded in your soul's journey. So, mm -hmm. but there are many ways: meditation, journaling. Um, you know, um, I don't know people. If it's in you to walk down that path, you will, and you'll find what's right for you. And it may be something completely different. Yeah, for me, I, I, meditation is is such a powerful thing, and it's it opens up so many creative windows and doors and avenues that I'd never had prior to doing heavy meditation of an hour or two hours uh, of a daily meditation that I've sometimes go in with a question and I come out with the answer. <laughs> exactly. It's good for your health too. I, I, I just found that out. Uh, I took, I, I got my blood work done <laughs> and they'd like, Oh, this is down. Do you meditate? I go, yeah, that's part of what it is. I was like, wow. It's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it's extremely healthy for you as well. Um, now, what advice do you have for the dreaded rewrite? Uh, where so many I have a whole chapter on that in way of story. Yeah, I say writing is rewriting. Um, sometimes you may not know your theme. Every good story will have a theme. Mm -hmm. And I always ask my students to tell me what the story is in two sentences. It's the shortest prompt, but in some ways it's the most challenging. Sometimes you have to write a first draft before you really nail it, before you know that theme. So after you know what your story is, it's a good tracking thing. You start reading your first draft, and if it suddenly go, you know, if you're trying to get to LA to New York and you suddenly are in Mexico, you know, you've gone off <laughs> the track somewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a flag. This could be cut. Cause even if your main character is not on camera or on stage, the supporting characters are there to reveal those main characters or push the plot forward. And if they're not doing those two things that can be cut. So those are, there are other tips in the chapter, but those are. Those are two good ones. Um, now, how I'll give you a, an antidote. Sure. When I was still acting, I was in a Broadway revival of Death of a Salesman. Mm -hmm. George C. Scott was directing us, and he's very talented, but crazy, man. 
<laughs> and he was making everyone's life miserable. We were in Philadelphia for the, um, you know, often shows go out of town before they come to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And anyway, to make it shorter, Marty Balsam was our Willie Loman, lovely man. And um, George was very anti-Medic, and he was really making Marty's life um walking hell and martin balsam was already a star sure and i came i was in the hotel lobby walking by and i saw marty in the bar his he was like this he was just so i went over and sat next to him and i said what's up marty and he said catherine i can't stand it anymore I'm, i'm quitting and i said you're the star of the show you can't quit And he said, I just can't take it anymore. And I said, you tell the producer it's either George or you. And he did that. George was fired. And guess who they flew in to take over the last 10 days of rehearsal? Who? The author. (laughs) Arthur Miller. Oh, my God. And where George is all fire and, you know, vehement. Yeah. Um, it was like bringing in Abraham Lincoln, you know, he w- <laughs> he was calming, he was gentle. It, it was amazing, you know, so and now had, why did I bring that up? Uh, in the rewrite process, but it's a fantastic story. Yeah. So you actually were directed by Arthur Miller. <laughs> yeah, for 10 days. Oh, here's why I brought it up. It is about rewriting, long way round. Mm-hmm. I had lunch with Arthur Miller just the two of us. And I was just starting to want to write the Virginia Woolf play. You know, I wanted to write. And and I didn't tell him that, but I said, Death of a Salesman's considered a classic now. Many think it's your best play. How many times did you rewrite the play? He thought for a moment. He said 40. No, I'm sorry. He said 36 times. 36 times. He rewrote Death of a Salesman 36 times. You see, when we read a great poem or book or play, I remember in college, you have the feeling that it came out from the artist, like from Zeus's head. Oh, of course. One draft, you're done. It's over in a few hours. (laughs) 36 rewrites. So it's not just the talent, it's that perseverance, you know. Uh, and, and there's there's that legendary story of Sylvester Stallone writing Rocky in, in two days. And and he's like, I did write the first draft in two days. And then I rewrote it for the next like three months, eight months or something there you like go. that. There you go. Uh, well, that's how it is. Now, one thing that I think every screenwriter has to deal with, and I think every artist in, 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 in one way, shape or form, especially in, in, in mass, mass market uh, arts like visual arts or filmmaking or, or things like that, how can you serve your your creative soul, your writer's soul, and the marketplace at the same time? You know. oh, hey. <laughs> if you find out, let me know. <laughs> you know. Why do you think I'm in Ojai and left Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one example. I always think in examples because I guess I'm a teacher. My first movie, The Christmas Wife, I had an offer first before HBO, a network um, asked me that they wanted to produce it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no sex or violence, and I mentioned in the script, and they said, we love your script. We love it. We want to do it. But what if instead of <laughs> the main character who's 65, instead of renting a, a woman who's his own age for Christmas holidays, what if she's 28? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I laughed. I, I, You know, I was a New Yorker. I hadn't lived in L.A., so I laughed. I thought they were kidding, and no one laughed, so I realized they were serious. Then they said, what if, when they're in the cabin for three days, just the two of them, what if a rough gang breaks in and terrorizes them? And then I said, well, then it would be like every television movie we've seen. Nobody smiled. 
So I said no. I walked away, and HBO produced it as I wrote it. Look at that. And it won four Emmy nominations. And there you and, so and, and there you go. You have to hold firm sometimes, you know. You just have to hold firm. Now, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all my guests. What are three screenplays uh, or plays that you think every uh, screenwriter should read? Well, when I was teaching at USC Film School, I had my graduate students read two screenplays. Chinatown by Robert Town. Always, yeah. It's uh, is such a great movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so tight. There's not one mistake in the structure of that story. So Chinatown by Robert Town and Blade Runner. Mm. Mainly I did that because they were all in their twen- you know, mid-20s, my students. So I figured they'd read that. Another good film. You know, yeah. for the set like that genre. Um, God, there are just so many. I I read a lot, and I reread, and I rewatch movies a lot, which surprises. Even though I'm not voting for the Oscars and Emmys anymore, I stopped mm-hmm. paying my dues. Only now I can watch what I want to watch, <laughs> as opposed to like I gotta That's watch all this so I can vote. It. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't know. You know, read good writing. I've read um, Flaubert's uh, Madame Bovary three times just for the style. Yeah. You know, I teach memoir, too, and I'm listening on 10 CDs, um, St. Augustine's Confessions, written in the 4th century, he wrote the first memoir, first autobiography in Western history. Wow. And it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, uh, so, you know, you just, you need to think outside the box. You never know what's going to be useful when you're writing. Here. Now, what advice would you give a screenwriter trying to uh, break into the business today? I've actually had people approach me. It's a friend's nephew or, you know, we get those calls. Yeah. And they want to said, can you, can I meet an agent? I've got an idea for a film. (laughs) I said, well, that's fine. But do you have a good sample script? See, Christmas Wife was my first screenplay. It was, I thought, my sample script. But within two weeks, three people wanted to produce it. You have to have and write and rewrite that sucker till it really is there. Hire, if not me, some other consultant who's good. Don't just have your wife or husband or best friend read it and tell you how wonderful it is. Really get an objective eye there to tell you what works and what doesn't. And once you have that, then you ask for connections. And you do need connections in Hollywood. I had none when I came out, but relationships. I had script. Relationships, it's all built on relationships, yeah. no question. Well, it's not all built. It's all built on good work. But without- Relationships help bring it to life, yeah. I guess the relationship is the oil and the engine that pushes the pushes the yeah. good cargo down the line. If you okay, will. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that metaphor. Uh, now, what is uh, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? Wow, you don't mess around. <laughs> um, patience, patience. Yeah, that's mine. That's mine. I'm not very patient, which sometimes works for you. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and my, I'm, I'm an astrologer on the side mm-hmm. and a psychic reader, so I really get into astrology. I have nine planets in fire. It's mm-hmm. not exactly a balanced chart. It's great for inspiration and working quickly and teaching and all that. For personal life? <laughs> not so much. Not yeah, so, much. so I think patience. And because of meditating for the last 40-odd years, more, um, I'm, you know, I'm more patient, but still mm-hmm. a long way to go. I'd say patience has been my toughest lesson. And where can people find out more about you, your courses, your books, and, and how to get a hold of you? 
Well, I mentioned this Monday I'm going back to Esalen, but the class is full. Um, but there's 20 on the waiting list, so Esalen asked if I'd come back in November. So I'm going to be teaching at Esalen and Big Sur in November, too. Um, wayofstory.com, wayofstory.com. Um, my books are there, my uh, consultant service. I also do psychic readings, mm-hmm. <laughs> other things. I've done that for 35 years. Um, so Way of Stories are good, and you can email me through that, too, and connect. But more than anything, I would say be true to yourself. Write the story you want to tell. Don't think about the marketplace. Create a marketplace. Best advice I've heard today. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it, Alex. Thanks. I want to thank Catherine so much for coming on the show and dropping her knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Catherine. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get her book, The Way of Story, The Craft and Soul of Writing, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 135. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a good review for this show wherever you are listening to this episode. Thank you again for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv. 